0: We are in Romans chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans 2, we will be there this morning. We are in week number 3 of our series on the book of Romans. Uh, As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this is an incredible letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And uh, the first chapter we saw that, that Paul really laid out some, some truth. He really kind of hit uh, people hard with that first chapter, didn't he? He really uh, said some things that needed to be heard. And that's kind of refreshing to us, I think, as a church to hear that because we live in such a watered-down time right now where everybody just seems to be offended by everything. And Paul did not worry about offending anyone in this book uh, that we call Romans. Paul never watered it down. And he never watered it down because he was not ashamed of the gospel. We talked about that in verses 16 and 17. And because he loved people and he loved the gospel, he shared the gospel with as many people as he possibly could could, and we also learned last week that that gospel message needs to be balanced. It's not just a feel-good message where uh, God just loves everybody, and and He does love everybody, but that doesn't mean that, that you just go do whatever you want to do because God loves you, and somehow at the end you're going to get a free pass because He loves you. Um, he loves you, but that has to be balanced with the truth that that there's also his wrath that we have to take into consideration. Today, as we turn our attention to chapter 2, in, um, uh, we see that Paul's not really all that happy. Uh, with the church, and in chapter one, uh, he's basically speaking about all of the detestable things that the Gentiles did, and and um, remember that long list of sins that we talked about at the end of chapter one. You know the sexual immorality, the the slander, the gossip, the arrogance, the the deceit, all of the that stuff that he's he's preaching preaching about. He basically said, hey, uh, you know th- these these Gentiles, they might not have heard of of the the law of Moses and these Gentiles might not have heard of, of the gospel, but Paul says they had creation, and so they're still without excuse because God has revealed Himself in creation so that we are without I- excuse. But they turned their backs on that and refused to worship God. Instead, they, they started worshiping uh, their own idols that they had carved for themselves that were either made, out of, or made to look like animals or made to look like, like humans. Well, now in chapter 2 of his letter... Paul flips the script a little bit. In the first chapter, you know, I can just kind of see they've gotten this letter from, from Paul. Have you ever gotten a letter and, and you're excited to get this letter because you see who it's from? And you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what they say. Or maybe nowadays it's more like email. And, and you get this and, and, and you're excited to read it. And then you open it up and you're kind of like, eh wasn't really expecting it. That's kind of what happens in, in this scenario. I picture the church at Rome receiving this letter from Paul and they're excited because they had heard of Paul. They knew who Paul was. They hadn't met him yet. And, and so they got this letter and I can kind of picture uh maybe one of the elders of the church standing up and say okay everybody kind of gather around we're going to read this letter we're going to read this letter from paul all right let's do this and and then then he he starts they start reading the letter and 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 they he talks about sexual immorality and and how it's bad and all the people are saying amen brother preach it and and gossip. It's bad. Oh, you're right. Preach it, brethren. Slander. It's bad. You know, you got that right, brother Paul. You can't be doing that. That kind of thing. So basically what Paul was doing in chapter 1 is is he's kind of preaching to the choir a little bit. He's kind of like singing their song, ringing their bell, whatever you want to say. They loved what he was saying. They loved to hear the condemnation of those no-good, filthy Gentiles. And Gentiles are basically anyone that is non-Jewish right? And so I can kind of hear the church saying, those filthy animals, I knew they were no good anyway. And the Jews hated the Gentiles, okay? And the absolute worst kind of Gentile there was, was the Roman Gentile, because it was the Romans who had come in and occupied Jerusalem, and basically was running the show, and was basically running the temple. They had invaded the holy city of Jerusalem, and they were in control, and the Jews hated that. It's my understanding that the Jews hated the Romans so badly that if they even said the word Gentile or if they even said the word Romans, they would spit to cleanse their mouth because they didn't want that being the last thing to come from their Tongue. That's how badly they hated them. And so when Paul is writing this letter, and basically in this letter, he's preaching a hellfire and brimstone message, basically, you know, then the Jews are loving it, and Paul knew it. He knew that, that as this letter is being read, they're going to hear this letter through the filter of their nationalism, and, and they're going to hear this, this letter through the filter of, of their, uh, their heritage, right? He knew that they hated the Gentiles so much that they're going to listen to this letter and go, you know, you're absolutely right. So now we get into chapter 2, and all of a sudden, Paul shifts gears from the sins of the Gentiles to the sins of the Jews. And so the church goes and goes, amen, brother, preach it, Paul, you're killing it, you're knocking it out of the park. You could have heard a pin drop, right? Because what Paul does is he says, oh yeah, you know all of those things that I was saying about the Gentiles? Remember all those things? All those bad things? It's true of you too. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Okay? You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, if I can just stop there for just a moment, in that one verse, one little verse, Paul uses the word you six times. He just keeps hammering away. You, speaking to the Jews in the Roman church, you, therefore, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge someone else, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the very same things. And this other stuff that Paul was saying was the Gentiles, he's basically saying, we kind of expect that from them. They're the Gentiles. We know that they don't believe in God. We know that they don't believe in Jesus Christ. We expect them to act like that, but you, you should know better. You have heard it straight from God. You have the law of Moses. you got the Ten Commandments. you heard it from there. Jesus walked the face of the earth and you have placed your your trust in Him and you believe in Him and you've been baptized into Him and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You should know better but you're doing the same things. In chapter 1, I kind of I picture uh, these Jews, you know, they're just kind of like at the first Christian church of Rome, you know, and there's amen, like I said before, and then chapter 2 starts out, and the, and the mood changes. They're all just excited, and they're just all fired up because Paul's preaching against those no-good, worthless Gentiles. He gets into the first couple verses of chapter 2, and they are just, man, they're tore up. Yeah. You know? Paul's basically saying, "Listen, you love to hear all the, the, the sermons against the low-down, good-for-nothing gossips and immoral and slanderers, etc., etc, but you're just as guilty. And here was the problem that Paul was getting at. He was saying, "You're so caught up in your way of thinking, apparently, that you don't even see that you're doing the same things. You're so focused on what everybody else is doing and the sins that they're committing, you don't even see that you're doing some of these same things. It's kind of like that whole thing that you know Jesus talked about the speck of dust it's in your eye or in their eye, and you've got a plank in your own eye, you know, kind of thing that he said. This is what's happening here. God was saying to them through Paul, you're just as guilty as they are. Now you imagine how that landed with the the Jews in the church of Rome because they could not stand the Gentiles and Paul says listen you Christians you are just as bad as they are you're just as wicked you're just as guilty you're just as disobedient really think of the church he was not too happy and basically asking them this question he's basically saying do you really think That God is somehow able to see their sins and punish them, but he doesn't see what you're doing. That God would look at them and say, Yeah, you know, I see I see what's going on there, but you know what? You're the Jews. You're good. Keep doing it. See, because Paul knew exactly what they were thinking. They thought just because they were the Jews, just because God had picked the Jews to bring the knowledge of God to the rest of the world, just because Abraham was their forefather, just because of their birth, that God somehow would not judge them for some of the things that they were doing even though they were just as guilty. Look at verse 4. Paul asks this question, is your mind so distorted that you would even show contempt for the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Paul was letting the church know that they can't just believe that because God was faithful to Abraham, because He held back His own hand of, of righteous judgment against them up to this point, because He hasn't struck them dead or sent pestilence or flood like He did to some other parts of the world and to some other people groups. That just because God did that, does that mean that they're off the hook now? Does that mean that, that they should take that as a sign that God is pleased with them? See, the reason God didn't demolish Israel wasn't because they were so good. It's because they were so bad. God knew that if the angels of judgment came... And Jerusalem with Israel was destroyed. The Jews would all perish. And God has always said He would always keep a remnant. And He was still trying to keep a remnant. He was still trying to keep a group of faithful people. That's the only reason they were still alive at that particular point. And they thought they were just wonderful. They thought, hey, we can do whatever we want to do because we're God's chosen people. Now, as you can imagine, their mood changes again from great, you know, they're doing great, to all of a sudden, they're not doing so great. And then all of a sudden, they're probably starting to get a little bit ticked off because they've been called out. And I can imagine the Jews, they're being upset, and they're probably wanting to fire a letter back to Paul because they're God's chosen people, and they're ready to strike back at Paul, how dare you say the things you said about us? Do you realize who we are you know, who does he think he is? And they they basically proudly stood up and proclaimed, You can't talk to us like that. I can hear him doing it. We're the Jews. We're the sacred keepers of the law of Moses. We don't worship idols, we worship Yahweh, the one true God. In fact, God has made us, the Jews, a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark. An instructor of the foolish. A teacher of little children. That's what God has made us. We have the law. We are the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And Paul counters with saying, well, yeah, if y'all are so wise that you teach each other and you teach the children, you do all this, won't you, won't you uh, teach yourselves to do the very things that you are teaching everybody else to do, but you're not following yourself. Look at verses 21-23 through 23 with me, if you will. Here's what he says. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing... Do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And then look at verse 24. He says, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. And here's, here's where you really got to get ready for the, Him lowering the boom. God's name is blasphemed against the, among the Gentiles because of you! You! There are people who don't believe in God because of you. That's what he was telling the Roman church. There are a lot of people outside the church who don't believe in God because the way you so-called Christians act. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard someone say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go to church. The church is full of hypocrites. Has anybody ever said it? Someone that you love, someone that you would love to see seated right next to you this morning who will not step foot in a church because they've seen how we act. Go ahead, raise your hand. Do you know someone? Absolutely. I don't need the church. I can be that good at home. No. And, and, and so Paul's laying into him, and here's the deal. The Jews, instead of just taking their medicine like they should, they're not done yet. You know, they're a little bit self-deluded here. They're not going to die that easily. Here's what they say: <laughs> His argument is hilarious. But we have circumcision. Yippee! Right? To which Paul responds: Circumschism, circumcision, schmircumcision, or something like that. You know, I don't care. Because what he says is really what what good does it do if you're willing to mutilate yourself without the inner reality that God's alive? Doesn't really matter what you do if nothing has changed in here. What is outward circumcision, he says, without the inner reality that God is who he said he was? It's meaningless. Paul said, you can have your law, you can have your prophets, you can have your circumcision, you can have your celebrations. I mean, if you don't believe in God, you're... if you don't believe in Jesus, you're dead meat. If you don't live like He wants you to live, you're hypocrites. Huh? Reminds me of the story about a forest ranger who's making his rounds into a remote part of a wooded uh, forest. and it, it's a, It's a reserve where animals were protected and... And as the ranger is coming through the forest, he he comes across an, a really unkempt man who's sitting by a makeshift campfire. And to the ranger's astonishment, the guy is sitting there and he's eating a fish, and a bald eagle. Well, the man was consequently put in jail for the crime, and he was soon brought before the judge for his crime. And the judge asked the man, said, "Do you know that eating a bald eagle?" is a federal offense and he said yes I do I do but if you let me explain my case I can tell you why I was doing what I was doing and the judge said okay you may you may proceed he said well I got lost in the woods and I hadn't had anything real to eat for several uh several days almost two weeks and 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 he said I was so hungry Uh, I was just eating plants and, and I was just trying to stay alive. And the next thing I see is a bald eagle swooping down over the lake and grabbing a fish. And I thought if I just startled the eagle, I could maybe steal the fish. And lo and behold, the eagle lands on a stump not far from where I was. And I threw a stone toward the eagle hoping he would drop the fish and fly away. But unfortunately, because I hadn't eaten in so long, I was a little bit weak and my aim was off. And that rock hit the eagle right in the head and killed it. And I thought, well, you know, no sense letting it sit there and rot. You know, I'm really, t- I know it's illegal, but it'd be more disgraceful to sit it, let it sit there and and rot and not not eat it. And the judge said, well. Let's take a recess, and and I'm going to analyze the defendant's testimony, and and 15 minutes goes by, and the judge returns. And, And the judge says, due to the circumstances you were under, and because you didn't intend to kill the eagle, the court will dismiss the charges. You're free to go. But before the man left, the judge leaned over the bench and says, if you don't mind me asking, what does bald eagle taste like? And he said, well, Your Honor, it's kind of hard to explain. I guess the best comparison I can make is it's a little more tender than a California condor, but it lacks the tang of a spotted owl. (laughs) Now, (laughs) that probably offended someone. I'm sorry. Um, You know, that's how some of the Christians in Rome were behaving. It's like, okay, here's these rules we know that apply to a certain group of people, but they don't apply to us because we are Jewish, right? And Paul lowers the boom on them and on us, really, and he says, the Gentiles, the heathens, you know, the people that wouldn't know the truth who would come up behind them and 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 just like slapped them upside the head. They are so pathetically evil they can't even spell goodness. These heathens, they're making a laughing stock of your God. Because of you. Mm. Verse 5, if you read verse 5, it it, it actually uh, it kind of carries with it that this idea that that Paul is weeping for the Jews because they're so blind, they don't even see that they are doing the very same sins that they're getting all worked up over everybody else doing. Paul says that you don't you don't even you don't even see it. You don't even see that you're writing checks that you don't have the funds to cover and you just keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it. You think just because you you know who God is, that somehow He's just going to overlook all this stuff. Just because of your nationality, just because He chose you to bring the knowledge of truth into the world, you think that just because of that, you're off the hook? Paul says twice, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, and then comes the most crushing news at all for the Jews. God does not play favorites, so stop judging, and that's the first point. And if you're saying, wow, we're this long into it, and he just got to the first point, we're going to be here for a while. No, these these are going to move quickly, okay? All right. God will repay each person for what they've done, if if they're outside of Christ and if they are in Christ, but they continue to live like they used to, we're going to answer for that. Maybe some of you were here last week and. And in fact, I heard from several of you who said, man, I really I really liked what you had to say last week. You know, um, some people won't stand up and, and say, well, I, I appreciate you. Know, I appreciate that. You know, we talk about the godless slide of America and we get all fired up about that. And when I preach against homosexuality or non-binary transgenderism, things like that, a lot of you like to hear me say that. But it could could be that we missed the point of last week's message. If we're not careful, we might think that chapter 1 was about calling out people for the sins that they're caught up in. And maybe today you're even thinking, oh man, those Jews, those Jews and their spiritual blindness, how could they be so stupid? How could they be so silly? How could they be so hypocritical? But here's the reality, church. I think the target of chapter one and the target of chapter two is us. Paul says, you, you, you. You're doing the very same things. It's you. It's me. Right? It started out with Paul condemning the Jews because we're much more open to criticism when it's against other people, aren't we? You know, when we hear somebody criticizing someone else, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And we're not going to call people out for being critical of someone if it's about somebody else. But when the, when the tide is turned, the criticism comes toward us. We don't like it so much. But Paul is saying that we are just as guilty as the heathens. First century Jews were just as guilty as the Gentiles because they condemned in the Gentiles what they were guilty of too. Actually, they were more guilty because they had the law of Moses and they had the prophets and they had all of this other things that the gentiles didn't have they had a better opportunity they were equally guilty but they were more accountable because they had been given more light 21st century christians we're just as guilty as the first century jews but even more because we have more light than has ever been given in the history of mankind We have the Old Testament. We have the Law. We have the Prophets. We have the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's given to us at baptism. We have more light. We know better. And yet, we do the very same things. In the words of Jesus Himself, the One who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with with few blows. But here's what he continues to say. For everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Guys, we've been given so much. We've been given so much light, so much truth, so much of God's Word. And yet, I feel like as the church, many times we'd rather stand and condemn and point fingers rather than look at the sins that we're doing which are very similar to what the world's doing. So that's the second point. We're the ones with more light and we're held to a higher standard. Right? Right? They thought just because they had the law, just because they had circumcision, just because they had the temple, just because they had the blood of Abraham, they were somehow exempt from judgment. They were guaranteed acceptance by God. And I think that some Christians today, just because maybe they were born into a Christian family, just because maybe at some point in their life they got baptized, they made their way down to the front, and they made some sort of commitment that now because we've done that, we can do whatever we want to do and not be held accountable. Or maybe we just think because, you know, we, uh, we're Christian, and, and I think sometimes we're guilty of thinking, some people haven't even made a decision to follow Christ, and they think just because they live in the United States of America, and we are Christian, quote unquote, that we're good with God. And that He's just going to look at us and kind of wink at our sins and say, it's ah. God expects more from us because He's put so much into us. Would you agree with that? That's our third point. God, He expects more from us because He has put so much into us. And so today I want to close by asking you some questions that I think we need to wrestle with today. Maybe some of you don't. I'm going to guess there's at least one or two questions on this list that we need to wrestle with though. I'm going to ask you the same questions that Paul would ask his listeners. Are you guilty of condemning other people's sins, when you and God know that you're just as guilty of some sins in your life, maybe the very same sins that you condemn, or maybe something worse, maybe worse, I thought all sins were equal. I think all sin is equal to a holy God in terms of not being able to be in His presence, but there are greater consequences to certain sins than others. There's more collateral damage to some sins right second question have you ever had an unforgiving spirit towards others because of their sin but then you make excuses for your own sin do you not realize that your sin the same or different that you're condemning someone for are more grievous to god brings more tears to the eyes of jesus because you have more light and more knowledge We can't expect the world to act like us. Can we? They're the world. They don't know any better. They've never made a decision to follow Christ. They don't even read the Word of God. And then we sit and we point fingers and we look how they're acting. When we don't do anything different sometimes. Do you think that because you're basically good, mostly good, that God will just kind of overlook a few little sins here? Or there. It's no big deal. It's all right. Not that. Not a big deal. Can you sit here today and honestly think that you have nothing in you that needs to be confessed or forgiven of? Let me ask you this question Are you going to stay there in your seats and let another sermon bounce off of you? Let another invitation pass unanswered. Close your eyes to your sin. Close your ears to the Holy Spirit pleading with you to repent of your sins and be baptized into Him. Will you sit there and say, you know what, that sermon wasn't for me, but I wish so-and-so was here today to hear that. (laughs) What's God asking of you? Today, Do you need to confess your sin? Do you need to turn away from it? Do you need to be baptized into Him? That's one thing that you can do. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in a song um, of decision this morning. If you're ready to make a decision for Him, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can come down to the front. You can do that right now publicly. Kendall will be here to, to meet with you, pray with you, talk to you about what you need to do to enter into that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and, and you still have some questions, but you're ready to do it, but you, you're not quite ready to do it this morning. You want to talk to someone first. We have the church connection number that you can text the word ready to, and we'll follow up with you today, and we will get with you and, and talk to you about what you need to do. Uh, to surrender your life to Christ, but i'm going to guess that most of the people that are in this room today and most of the people that are watching online have already made a decision to follow Christ i I love how Jesus was talking about how the Pharisees one thing that they would do is is uh, he said it's it's kind of like you got a dirty cup right and and you wash the outside of the cup. Any of you do dishes and and when you wash your coffee mugs or anything else that you put your coffee or anything else you put in a mug, you just wash the outside and leave the inside unclean. No, you wash the whole thing. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you're like that. What you do is you, you wash the outside and you make it look all pretty and all clean and like you, you really got your act together, but on the inside you're You're like that cup that hasn't been cleaned out on the inside yet. And he's saying, you need need to stop playing the game. You need to be cleaned from within. And that starts with repentance. And and I just encourage you to spend some time with the Lord today, telling Him how sorry you are for your sin, and making a decision to to say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm, I'm turning away from that today. Today is my day to turn away from sin. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Again, you can come forward or text ready, whatever you want to do, as Spencer and the worship team leads us in this song.